Nobody ever gets used to rape. And don't ever for a second think that they're used to that or that that's just something that's normal for them. Nobody ever gets used to rape. A child will never get used to rape. And that's what sex trafficking is. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Light in the Darkness podcast, where we speak life and shine light on the issue of human trafficking. My name is Hillary, and today I'm here with two amazing Zoe team members, Esther and Sandy. They are subject matter experts in the issue of human trafficking, and we're just going to have some great conversation today. I'm so glad you all are here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's great to be here. Yeah, I think it's going to be really great. And, you know, one of the things I'm glad about is that we can come together and really talk about what human trafficking is. You know, as we know, it's one of the fastest growing criminal industries. But I think there's still a lot of misconceptions about what human trafficking is. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about some of the common misunderstandings people might have about what human trafficking is. Um, I think one of the most common um, things that we hear a lot is in reference to the Taken movie, even though it is an old film um, that's often referenced for human trafficking. Um, and it, a lot of people know that film. Um, and it's not that those kinds of things can't happen and that it doesn't happen. People are kidnapped. People are, um, you know, taken into those scenarios from other countries. Um, but what's most common oftentimes is somebody who might know somebody um, and it's through grooming and relationship where they might be tricked or um, forced into situations. Um, it happens domestically. It can happen in and it is happening every day here in America. Um, but a lot of times when you do talk about human trafficking with other people, they think about other countries. They think about developing nations. Um, that trafficking is only happening um, and individuals are locked in cages um, or, you know, being transported in trucks. Um, again, those things can happen. But what's most common is individuals who are tricked um, into these kinds of situations. And another common misconception is that all traffickers are men. Um, as a survivor of trafficking, I know firsthand that that's not true. My first trafficker was a woman, and I had many women traffickers after that, including men. But um, it, that isn't always the case. And like Esther was mentioning, all just the different types that can be present domestically. Um, it could be a boyfriend. It could be a mother. It can be a friend. It can be so many. It can be anyone. And so just that myth of all traffickers are male I think really keeps people sort of locked into a little box when they think about human trafficking and imagining that it can't possibly be anyone else. So I think it's important to just keep in mind that it can be anyone. It, it, there is no face, color, creed that is specific for a trafficker and they can just come in different forms. One of the things that another, I feel like in this internet age and misconceptions um, are a lot of the stories that get viral attention, which are um, my friend, somebody that I know was being followed in a department store or shopping center and um, be careful of, um, you know, tags that are on your car. Again, not that those things are not happening and maybe a crime is about to be committed, but um, a lot of times when those are the scenarios that get millions of views and that 
is the conception for most people that that's what human trafficking is going along the lines of what you were mentioning before in terms of looking out for signs if we don't understand the common ways that human trafficking is happening then we might miss the signs because if people um, believe that trafficking is mostly when um, somebody is you know hiding behind your car and then um, you know they might kidnap you into the car and then, you know, sell you somewhere. Um, what's most common is somebody who comes in like a boyfriend or somebody that can be trusted. Um, and it's through relationship oftentimes and um, trickery and, and grooming um, or ads that somebody may think it might be a job, a legitimate job, uh, but it actually turns out to be um, entrapment and, and trafficking situation. Um, so just being aware of um, some of these stories that are going viral, you know, have police confirmed that these stories are actually happening. Um, I feel like every couple of months we hear a new one in terms of, you know, look out for the white vans that are coming around. Um, again, not that those things are not happening and that crimes are not happening, but um, we just want to make sure that that is not the only uh, perspective of what human trafficking is because it could be happening right next door to you and in your neighborhood, but you're not seeing it because you're looking for uh, peculiar, out-of-the-ordinary situations of um, you know, somebody following you around in, in a store. Yeah, and that really ties into just the research that's been done that shows that a majority of children that are trafficked are first trafficked by somebody that they know. So that's another common misconception. It's just this stranger danger thing, which a lot of people teach their kids. I don't teach my kids that, you know, we talk about boundaries and things like that, especially with those closest to us, family members or coaches or just anywhere within your community, just because that is a stat that is it's, it's a fact that that happens usually by somebody that's closest to you. So there's that so close to home part of it. Yeah, it's interesting because it does seem like when we hear human trafficking, it seems like it's this really obvious thing that you just immediately would recognize. But clearly that's not always the case. It could be a lot more subtle. It could be a family member. Even those who are being trafficked might not always recognize the signs of it, right? Like with the Romeo um, effect of they think they're in a relationship and there's so much force, so much fraud, all of the manipulation that's involved. One of the things I would love to help listeners understand a little more of is like, what is it exactly? If it's not these things, what is it? What does it look like in everyday life? When somebody is being sold for labor or sex um, for adults, when the use of force, fraud, or coercion is used, um, it's somebody against their will. They're feeling threatened if they don't do it, um, or they were tricked into it, um, or they feel that if they don't do this thing, they are going to be harmed. Um, it could be labor. It could be sex. Um, that would be human trafficking. Somebody is profiting off of forced labor or sex. Um, but for children, the, you don't have to prove forced fraud and coercion because as a minor, we believe that, especially for sex trafficking, they cannot consent to sex with an adult. And so when somebody is paying for sex with a child, even if a child is saying that it was their choice, they were just trying to make some money, um, we believe because they can't consent to that sex 
just because money is on the table, um, it's still non-consensual. And so for a child, force, fraud, and coercion would not have to be proven. Um, I think the other term for um, human trafficking, especially sex trafficking, it's commercial sexual exploitation. And so for children, that could take the form of any exchange of a sex act for something of value. So it doesn't even have to be money. It could be um, a sex act in exchange for drugs. Um, that would be commercial sexual exploitation of a child. Um, or maybe even adult, if they um, believe that you know, needing a place to stay. And so for that, they're um, exchanging um, and, and forced into uh, sexual acts or forced labor. Uh, that could also be a form of human trafficking. Yeah, many times it's really addressing your basic needs. These things that you just need to survive, really, right? Love, security, shelter, food, um, all of those things. If you have that need, a trafficker is always ready to meet that need. So it doesn't have to be for money, which in my case as a survivor, many times it wasn't. It was a survival thing, right? Like Esther mentioned, it was for drugs or for a place to stay or for food. And a lot of our youth are up against that as well youth that we work with um, within the city, they're just trying to survive. And so there's always somebody there that's going to be ready to exploit that that need, that vulnerability. Uh, they're very intentional. They, they're they very specific on who they prey on and who they choose. And um, it's not, you know, a lot of people think it's a choice on the victim and why didn't you just leave? Why didn't you, you know, there's it's so much more than that because of who they're choosing to prey on already our most vulnerable population, which is our children. Yeah, you know, one of the things you just said of why don't you just leave? I hear that type of mindset fairly often. And I can see how from somebody, maybe they don't know as much of the reality of human trafficking. They might see, well, if you're not physically held against your will, why don't you just go? But like you said, there's so much more to it. Would you all be able to shine some light on that? Like, what is the reality that a lot of victims and survivors have had to live through? And even that transition, how do they end up getting out of the life? Um, I mean, the number of survivors that make it out is a pretty small, Esther. You might know that number better than me, but um, it's really difficult to make to make it out. And not a lot of victims do and some of them die there and some of them just wither away there and for the ones that do it's it's really a lifelong journey of healing and restoration and changing your mindset and renewing your mind and your spirit I mean it's all hands on deck if you want to have a chance at having a healthy thriving life right I'm thankful that I have God so I am abundantly living today but um, not everyone has that and so for people that say, why didn't you just leave, which I think is the worst thing you can say to a survivor or a victim, uh, just because of the level of psychological manipulation that's involved. And I always say that any physical chains I may have had there or somebody holding me against my will for some of the times did not compare at all to the psychological chains and bondage I was in well after I left the life. So just being aware of that and the process that it takes for a child to, nobody bounces back from that kind of trauma. And so just being trauma informed and compassionate and considerate and patient and understanding 
all of these things. And you do that really by becoming more aware and learning more and just being able to better navigate how to serve a survivor and a victim of trafficking. Um, But I think the biggest part is through community that somebody can make it out and stay out and thrive. Uh, That was certainly it for me and God. Obviously, that's number one. Um, But other than that, I feel like it's it's hard for me to say if I would have ever made it out if I just didn't have all of that, Uh, especially the aftermath, the the aftercare, the restoring part is so key to have people in your life that can lift you up and get you back to you finding yourself. Yeah, and I think exploiters are master manipulators. And so they know um, and they will learn with victims what their needs and their wants are and what their family situation, what their connections are. And oftentimes victims don't have a lot of um, connections and support. And so that's why they're targeted. And so for um, a lot of victims who are in that situation, um, they might have a drug addiction. And that might even be something a trafficker used is knowing that this person has a vulnerability to drugs. And so supplying them with that, they're hooked on it. And um, this person can't find a way out of that because they continue to supply that. Um, It could be a person who multiple um, youth that we work with um, are in love with the trafficker. They believe this is their boyfriend. This is their lover. This is um, the person who cares most about them in their life, not realizing they also have multiple other girls or women um, as well, but they have been made to feel like they are the one and they would do anything for uh, the trafficker, their boyfriend. Um, So, you know, in other situations, they might have... um, had a baby with a trafficker. And so they're forever tied to this individual. Um, That might even be a tactic that a trafficker uses is to have that bond um, always with that person. Um, And I think there is a grooming process uh, for a victim where um, over time they have been disconnected from anybody safe in their life. The trafficker will often isolate them and they find themselves um, really completely dependent on this subculture, this life, this person. And so the thought of even trying to make it out is so overwhelming in terms of starting over. It's sometimes easier to remain where that person might be um, because they don't even know where to start. And so um, another thing for a lot of our youth, we have youth who um, live with their families and their siblings, younger siblings, children in that home. Um, And so if they fell into this situation because there was a trafficker targeting them, they immediately know where their family lives because in the beginning, the child didn't know who this person was and the danger they would be bringing. And then at some point, if the child may feel like they want out, it often feels too late because this trafficker knows where they live. They're terrorizing their family. Um, And a lot of times that's why the child doesn't come home because they don't want to bring trouble to their family. Um, You know, every time they come home, the trafficker comes and picks them up. They might even pound on the door of the family asking for the child to leave. We've had children tell us you know, who have come out of the life, they've told us, maybe I should just go back because I don't want them to hurt my family. Um, So there are multiple factors and reasons why um, an adult or a child may remain in the situation that they're in. Yeah, it's the complexities of it, right? And I think sometimes we want a very definitive, this is what needs to be done type of answer. 
But it really requires a lot of effort and constant patience when we're working with survivors, because like both of you mentioned, there are so many layers of manipulation, grooming, abuse, and even in situations where a youth or an adult may want to leave. But now it's almost like they're in between a rock and a hard place of if I take this risk, what is that going to cost me? Who is that going to harm? And so I think it's really important for those who are passionate about being in this field, but even those who just want knowledge is to empathize the importance of empathy with people because truly it's so much easier from the outside to say what somebody should do. But when you're actually in it, there's so many layers to that abuse. So from your experience working with survivors, what do you think are some of the ways that are helpful when you come alongside a survivor and you're trying to help them transition? Obviously, they're going to go through a process. What are some things you've learned as great ways to provide support? I think if um, somebody who is in need of help can feel like somebody is offering help from a place of genuine care, I think that would be the beginning of maybe I will take a chance on this person um, because I think there are a lot of potential offers for help that may come, you know, to the victim's way where, um, you know, somebody may ask, do you want to leave this situation? Do you need help? But I think for the victim to feel like, um, are you really going to be there for me? Are you just going to give me, um, you know, a gift card or a handout? And then what about tomorrow when the trafficker is uh, might hurt me because I've um, thought about leaving? Um, are you going to give me a job? Are you going to give me a place to stay? Are you going to give me a, a career that I can sustain myself? Um, if If the person can feel and see a vision of a path, a real path, path out of the situation that they're in um, a lot of times suffering from substance abuse you know that's a whole other thing so I think um, if you know somebody feels like okay this person cares about me maybe today I'm not going to make it out but maybe I'm willing to start to tell this person my story and what's been going on and maybe start problem solving solutions of a slow way out of that process. So I, I think for the average person who might encounter somebody in need, it would be um, to ask, um, you know, how can I help you? How can I be here for you today and right now? Um, because going back to some of the misconceptions, you know, when we've heard those stories in the news about kidnapping victims, for example, like Elizabeth Smart, when you heard of her story and then you, there would be video footage of her in stores, she's not handcuffed, she's not tied to anybody, she's walking around freely. I think that's the misconception for people because when they see individuals, oh, this is their choice, they want to be there, they don't want help. Um, I think when you can peel back the layers to ask about you know, why or what's going on in that person's, you know, life and situation to understand um, they are, like Sandy was saying, psychologically entrapped, even though the physical chains um, may not be there, um, trying to figure out ways to, you know, if you're asking somebody to leave something, you know, what are what is being offered, you know, to them for in order for them to find a real way out. Yeah, we have this motto in our program of just meeting the kids where they are. And I think that's key in approaching 
children and survivors of trafficking and meeting them where they are and not where you want them to be or where you expect them to be or where you think they should be um, really helps them feel seen and heard. And that's really important for a survivor because they've spent so much time just being invisible and having, you know, at least for me and for a lot of our youth, you know, you're in this day to day of someone telling you what to do, when to eat, when to sleep, when to think, when to talk. And it's it's so overwhelming and all consuming. You really lose your voice and your ability to even just speak up for yourself. And that's a process in getting that back. So it's even difficult when we do ask them, what do you want? What do you need? A lot of times they don't know. And that's okay. And so as a survivor advocate, which I am here at Zoe, I think survivor voices and support are so important. And when I'm with my youth, I really, really do just meet them where they are. One of the big questions that I ask every youth that I have when I see them, whether they've been missing for a while or whatever stage they're in, in their journey, I ask them, how's your heart? And a lot of them don't understand that question and when I dig a little bit more like how are you doing how are you feeling how are you processing how are you sleeping at night how and as soon as those questions come almost all of them they just start crying because how often do we really ask do we see the human you know the the child like sitting before you nobody ever gets used to rape it doesn't matter how many times that child runs away and, you know, that's that's a struggle that I struggled with as a former foster youth as well, just being in placements and things like that. You run away, you come back, you're just kind of like, OK, she's back. Let's do this paperwork. Um, but you don't realize that every time that child leaves, they're coming back with more trauma on top of all the trauma that you already have in your report in in their file that you know about. They're coming back with more. And don't ever for a second think that they're used to that. Or that that's just something that's normal for them. Nobody ever gets used to rape. A child will never get used to rape. And that's what sex trafficking is. And so I think really just being present, checking in on their spirit, on their heart, on what you can do. If you just have to sit with them or pray with them or just say, I'm so sorry that somebody hurt you, but I'm walking with you. We're just, we're just going to do this together. Um, a lot of the work that we do is harm reduction, you know, so I'm very real and I keep it 100 with the youth that I work with. And so we talk about those things like, OK, you were with him for five days this week. Like maybe maybe can we see him like three days this week? Can we you know, can we bring that down? And sometimes that's hard. It doesn't mean that we're accepting the behavior or the lifestyle or that we're just okay with it, it means we're meeting them where they are because this is very real for them. And that is a very real person for them. I used to have someone like that in my life and I was thought I was very in love and I thought they loved me. And that was real in that moment. So when I ask them about them, sometimes I ask them about their trafficker. And, and I don't call them that. A lot of youth don't identify as victims. And that's such a big thing to keep in mind just for context, I did not identify as a victim until I was 30 years old. And I left the life when I was 21, 14 to 21 for seven years. I, you couldn't have convinced me that I was a victim. There was no way. I thought I chose that. I thought I was there by my own accord. And that's very intentional. Traffickers manipulate you in a way that it almost makes you play your own part in your own victimization. So 
it's so confusing for a child. They're, they're still developing. They're not even cognitively capable of making these type of decisions yet. And traffickers just maximize that. They, they, they monetize it. They exploit it. And it's overwhelming for a child. And even thinking about some of the youth that we serve that are 18, 19, 20, 21, that might be their age, but they, they're still stuck back where it all started. You know, a lot of they're just kids and they just need love and support and guidance and somebody to understand, which is really difficult. But this is a start. Education, awareness can lead to prevention. I'm, I'm all about that life. So much to unpack with what you both shared. I think um, one of the statements you said is that nobody ever gets used to rape. Like a child never gets used to rape. That's what it is. It's rape, right? And something that came to mind just as we were talking was kind of the way that children who are um, teens who are victimized by traffickers, how a lot of times the public without being um, doing this purposefully might adultify like the youth you know or there's this false idea that because you're on the street and because you're exchanging money or you're choosing to do this like how even with your experience how you couldn't have been convinced that you were a victim but of course that's a result of abuse so when the youth are being targeted by traffickers and they think that they're participating in this exchange what some people might look at that as is prostitution right they might just label it oh they're just prostituting themselves but we know there's so much more to that and that's not really what it is so I'd love for you to speak on that so that people can be aware of the difference between human trafficking and somebody in prostitution yeah with with sex trafficking again it's that idea of force, fraud, and coercion. Um, it's a good example you bring because even people in my life who know the work that I do, when I'm trying to describe scenarios and examples, they will respond and say, oh, that's just prostitution. Um, and so then, and I know that that's in the public's understanding, it's meeting them where they are. And I know that that is something that they understand is prostitution. But um, with human trafficking, there are adults that uh, might be getting beaten into uh, being forced into prostitution or um, they may have been tricked into it or they believe that if they don't do it, there will be harm to them or their family. Um, and so it's it's not by their choice that they are exchanging sex acts for money. And oftentimes they're not even making the money. They're giving the money to the trafficker. Um, and then for a child, even if this child is not forced, is not um, threatened, um, is not, you know, harmed physically, um, and they are involved in exchanging sex acts for money or drugs or other things, because again, because they're a child and they cannot consent to it, it's considered human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation, not prostitution. So um, there was a national campaign years ago that there is no such thing as a child prostitute. We still hear that terminology in the news, in articles that um, there are this many child prostitutes or um, there was this sting, you know, for child prostitution. Um, but we are moving away from that language because there with that language comes this idea that there was this choice involved for the child, um, that they're choosing sex work. Um, so from what we've seen with 
uh, the, those that we work with, both adults and children alike, like Sandy was saying at the beginning, she didn't identify, but after years of coming out and healing and restoration, she's able to look back and finally even think about and process what she had experienced. That's the same for a lot of those that we're working with right now. It's too painful to even go back and touch why and how they had entered into um, the current situation that they're in. And so um, a lot of times, um, you know, they may even identify themselves as a prostitute, um, but it's through learning and education as they feel comfortable, as they build trust with those that are helping them, um, for them to see that, you know, the manipulation that was involved, um, the the coercion, the brainwashing, the grooming that was happening, for them to realize, wow, I, I was a victim. Um, and so we do want to move away from that idea that children are prostitutes, um, as well as understanding for the adults that are out there, there are adults that are choosing that life. Um, but the distinction for an adult would be that if that adult is um, under force fraud or coercion, then it's considered human trafficking and not prostitution. So much of it is like knowledge is power, right? You hear that saying there's so much power in knowledge, but there's also freedom in that. And so when you have a survivor that you're able to start working with them, sometimes it's just exposing them to the reality of like what was done to you was horrible. You didn't deserve this. This isn't something that was okay, you know, and, and just helping survivors recognize that whatever they were conditioned to believe is not the only thing that they can believe, that there's a whole nother perception and there's a whole slew of people that want to help, that want to walk with them through the process, regardless of what it looks like, right? It's not always going to be as simple as, all right, we're here to rescue you, let's go. Because like we've talked about, there's so much involved. And even before a youth or an adult is trafficked, a lot of times there could even be a history of other forms of abuse that they've experienced. So there's just layer upon layer of healing. But I'm thankful that as Zoe, we're able to come together and participate in that and share the love of God and do what we can to just help survivors. And it's not just about saying, hey, we're your answer. It's more so about we're here to walk with you and help you find the answers, help you find what's necessary to get to a stable place. So I'm just so thankful for your time today. I'm thankful for everything you shared. And this is an ongoing conversation, right? We can't just stop here. This is just an intro to what human trafficking is. And before we close, I do want to ask, what is a piece of advice you would give for listeners just to help them learn how they can help continue to spread awareness and join in the fight to end human trafficking? What came to mind as we were talking today is just um, judgment. I think um, that is the part I feel like that is a barrier for those who are needing help. Um, maybe they're not ready for help, but um, for the general public who want to help, who want to be involved, um, really trying to come from a place of grace and, and non-judgment because we don't know their lives. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know why they are where they are. And I think a lot of times coming from um, even our own place of you know if who's to say that if we didn't experience what this person did that we wouldn't be you know in their same situation or worse off um, with the choices that they were given or the limited choices that they had so I think if we can come from a place of um, suspending judgment and just coming from a place of I'm interested in you 
I'm interested in learning about you. I want to I want to know who you are. I want to help you discover um, who you are and what you love and what you're interested in. Um, meeting them, you know, where they are. I think um, I think that can be helpful. And then also, um, you know, if we're going to help, we're helping without um, conditions or it being about us. Like taking ourselves out of out of that in terms of sometimes we help and we have a timeline of wanting to help somebody saying that you know I've I've helped you this many times and um, you're not changing at the pace that I had hoped or um, you know feeling like um, they they want this person uh, they want to see certain changes in this person a certain way um, in order to want to continue to help. I think if we can offer um, just being there for people and, and what they need, and we all have different capacities, you know, maybe for some it might be financial, for others it might just be a listening ear, um, for others it might be being very resourceful for jobs or places to live or um training, um, things like that. So I think it's finding and discovering what do I have to offer? You know, what are some gifts, talents, experiences, skills that I have to offer somebody? Because there's always a place for everyone. If you want to help, um, if you want to love, um, you know, somebody, I think it's, it's really discovering what is it that I have capacity for in this season of my life and being able to offer that, um, to that person. That's so good. So good. I echo everything that Esther said. Um, and kind of along the same lines, I think empathy is key and really trying to put yourself in that child's shoes, so to say, um, just trying to think about what they're feeling, what they've gone through, um, even if it's so different from your own life and really just removing yourself in your agenda, not seeing them as a project to be fixed. Um, I, I think that's key. A lot of our youth are always saying that to me, like, I don't I don't need to be fixed. And I used to say that all the time. I probably have said it a few times as an adult. Um, but just realizing that you're this work in progress. And if you're going to be an adult that wants to do something about it, something tangibly, and you want to be there and you want to support, then just being very open to doing it for the long run. What they're used to is people coming in and out of their lives. And a lot of times people don't realize that that trafficker is the most consistent person in their life. They're the ones that never leave. They follow them everywhere they go, every placement, every juvenile hall, every place on the street, every motel, every time they're missing, they're there. They will show up. And that's a fact. They are the most consistent and so if we know all of these things and we know all these tactics of traffickers, I always say, I, I don't understand. I was talking to a youth not too long ago and I was sharing my story with her, which was about 25 years ago that that happened to me. And she said, dang, miss, the game hasn't changed. And that just felt like a ton of bricks on my chest because if the game hasn't changed and traffickers haven't changed their tactics, what are we doing? Why can't we be 10 steps ahead of them? Why can't we fill the gaps? Why can't we stand in the middle? They're just needs, right? They're exploiting a vulnerability. It's your ultimate supply and demand situation. So what are we doing? Because they didn't feel the need to have to change anything. And it's still working for them. 
So I feel like it, Esther mentioned all of the different areas that you can serve in and that you can provide resources and any kind of support that you have in your capacity. We have to show up and we have to be consistent and we have to be in it for the long run because this is it's a marathon. It's not an overnight thing. It's not a 30 day thing or a 60 day thing. It's a lifetime of restoration. And that's why I'm so big on prevention, because I really feel like no child should ever have to experience this to begin with. We know all the risk factors. We know what puts youth more at risk. We got to stand in the gaps. We absolutely can. Amen. Standing in the gap is such a huge thing. And I'm really, really glad that you ladies are doing that, that we're able to do that. We need to suspend judgment, like you said, Esther, not treat anyone like they're a project that needs to be fixed, and empathy. That seems like the most important takeaway from today is how can we continue to empathize. And I just thank you, ladies, so much for everything you had to share. We'll definitely have you back. We'll talk more. And thank you all for listening today, for tuning in to the Light in the Darkness podcast, where we speak life and shine light on the issue of human trafficking. We look forward to continuing the conversation. If you want more information, visit us at gozoe.org. Until next time, see you later.